The Real Investment Show. And welcome to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Of course, it's The Real Investment Show. Be sure you get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. This Saturday, um, I'm going to be joining Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for Candid Coffee to talk about the markets, the outlook for 2022, kind of what's kind of what we're expecting for next year. Um, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, so you'll need some coffee with it. So make sure that you go by the website. Click on either the events tab right there on the homepage. If you just scroll down, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, just scroll down the page a little bit. There's a big banner, um, and there should also be a pop-up for you as well that you can uh, basically just click and get registered. And again, uh, seating is not really limited, so... <laughs> You know, it's a, plenty. There are plenty of seats virtually. This is the great thing about virtual events. Plenty of room for you. Uh, love to have you uh, come in. That's Saturday morning, eight o'clock. So uh, you know, got to get up a little early, get your coffee going. But you know, we'll get you in, get you out, get you on for your day, and uh, get you kind of an outlook for 2022. Um, also on our website, we've got lots of new articles out this week. Five signs that you need to be paying attention to for the markets, and really kind of the idea of markets being exceptionally over bought here from a historical perspective and what does that potentially mean so lots of good information for you realinvestmentadvice.com as always uh joining me this morning danny ratliff as always on wednesdays danny how are you i'm doing great how are you lance fantastic so a couple of things i want to get into this morning uh in particular one is being is the 60 40 portfolio dead we've uh been hearing this a lot this year but before we get there um, let's talk a little bit about some good things that are happening for savers this morning. Uh, if you're if you're you know aggressively saving into your 401k plans or your IRA or your Roth IRA, there's been some uh, IRS is is basically doing something good for us, right? Yeah, well, they've done a little bit, right? It's kind of a half baked deal in the sense that they didn't go all the way, so they did increase 401k contribution limits from 19,500 to 20,500, so you can put a little bit more into the 401k. However, they failed to raise what you can contribute into an IRA. So a little frustrating on that. They did raise the income deduction limits from as far as what type of income you can make and still deduct an IRA contribution. So they did increase those a tad bit. So they did a little bit, but they didn't do it all. And so a little bit frustrating on that on that front, well, hoping that they come through and actually increase what you can put into the IRA because $6,000 lets Let's be real here, Lance. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to cut it, right? Well, it, look, you know, my argument for a long time has been is just take the limits off, right? I mean, people yeah. can only save so much money. You've got to have money to live on, right? So, you know, but but why do we have limits on 401ks and IRAs? Why not just allow people to save as much as they want? And if, I, if I'm in a position to where I could save 10000 in my IRA this year, great, let me. And... You know, I I don't really ever understand the limits because you know we if you take a look at the data, and the data is clear. You know, it's interesting. You know, we see these articles out from Fidelity: more four hundred one k millionaires than ever, more IRA millionaires than ever. That's true until you actually look at the number of IRA or four hundred one k accounts, and what you find is is that's the top one percent, right? Exactly what you would that's expect right. in the economy. But when you look at the average savings or the median savings of households in 401k and IRAs, it's very small. It's less than one year's salary in a lot of cases for, for many people. Um, and so really there's no reason. I mean, if the whole goal is to try to get people to save more so we can take the burden off of Social Security, take the caps off. Let them save as much as they can, right? Correct. Well, the premise is that they want to get as much money as they can get their hands on. But they're failing to, to think about the demographic issue that we have. Look at the baby boomer population. I mean, 
more than half of them will be retired by 2023. So we're on a downhill slope here from mm -hmm. that. And they're going to be taking more out from a requirement of a distribution. Now, there is also legislation out, which I'm sure you know, that is looking to push once again, it's the Secure Act 2.0 versus Secure Act, which is going to push that RMD back. So the requirement of distribution, what you must take, it used to be 70 and a half. Now it's 72. They're looking to extend that to 75, where you have to start those distributions from your retirement accounts. But let's face it, most of these people need it to live on, like the numbers you just mentioned. They're they're all over the place, and right. most people don't have that much money saved. Well, and so now there is kind of a couple other things too here. So so again, let's let's go back to what you said, right? The the government wants their money now. Okay. Right. So all right, let's take the limits off saving for Ross. Right. So, you, you know, because you get your money now. Right. If I put ten thousand dollars into the Roth IRA, that's post tax. I've already paid tax on money. The government gets their money and I get to save some money tax free down the road. Take those limits off. Um, and uh, of course, that'll force more people to probably start saving into a Roth IRA versus an IRA or, or a traditional 401k. But now we have Roth 401ks as well. So a couple of options there where you could remove limits and allow people to save more money. Right. Correct. No, I think it's a great idea. In fact, you guys heard it here first, right in ballot, November 2022, Lance Roberts. Great ideas. I, I will <laughs> fix I will fix everything. You may not like them, but I will get them fixed. <laughs> um, Social Security, I will fix it. You may not like it, but I'll fix it. Um, well, and, and, go ahead. Speaking of Social Security, Lance, there's a lot going on with Social Security and a lot of changes here on the horizon potentially with that. And actually some good things mm -hmm. that, that may come out of this. So Social Security 2100, it's, they're calling it a sacred trust. The House and Ways Committee has already voted on this. Chairman John Lawson, he's gone through this. And so there is actually some good news on that front in the sense that they're going to make some material changes. You know, we've talked about how there's need to be a change with CPI, uh, W to CPI, E. So it focuses more on what elderly expenses are. So seniors who are taking Social Security, mm -hmm. it's more in line with that. The numbers are staggering when you look at over decades as far as how that is not kept up with inflation. But you know, I think that's going to be a really good thing. So they're looking at a monthly benefit of thirty dollar increase increase across the board for the average retiree. Um, they're I don't, also know, I don't at, know if thirty dollars a month is going to help retirees when you're talking well, about inflation at five and six percent. <laughs> well, but but they did do the cost of living adjustment, yeah. which was much higher than typical. So that's yeah. good news. Um, we're also talking about um, you know raises the income threshold about about which Social Security benefits are taxed. So this is a really big deal. We talk about this frequently. You know. Um, you're looking at how, you know, if you make more than 25000 if you're an individual, you're going to start having 50% of your Social Security benefits taxed. Above 32000 for couples, same deal. Then you get above for a couple or 85% of it's taxed. They're looking at increasing those numbers to 35000 for individuals, 50000 for a couple. This is really good news. So we talk about distribution planning. We're always looking at this. And this is one of those things that's probably more difficult to actually make sure that people don't pay, right? Because that's a rather low low, low amount. Mm -hmm. um, but these are all good news and things that they're actually doing right now. They're also, one of the other big things I think is is really crucial is the survivor benefit. Historically, if if the breadwinner passes, then the the surviving spouse gets the the higher social security amount. Well, that could be pretty, that could be a pretty big change in lifestyle depending on what their own social security was mm -hmm. because one of them goes away. They're now talking about increasing that to 75% of the overall benefit that they collect together. So 
there are some good things coming. The problem with this new bill is they don't tell you how they're going to pay for it other than they're going to start they're going to start taxing social security benefits again if you make above 400,000 you'll have kind of a donut hole like you have in Medicare. Yeah, um, and it's interesting so. you brought that up because I was I was going to tag you on that, um, and we're about to hit a break here in a second, but I, let, let's let's spin over that for real quick about how to pay for this. This is all good, right? All, all these things you're talking about is, you know, giving seniors more money. Look, you know, we've been messing with, with CPI calculations since 1999 under the Clinton administration to try to lower the, the cost of inflation so we don't have to increase the payment on Social Security benefits because of the underfunded status of Social Security. Um, so really, real inflation, you know, what people live with actually has been far higher than what CPI has reported. So the cost of living adjustment hasn't kept up with that. But even with that suppression of Social Security payouts, starting last year, we're now paying out uh, over 100% of what we collect in tax revenues. That goes specifically just to mandatory spending. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, prescription drug benefits, and interest on the debt. More than 100% of our income from tax revenue just goes to that. None of that, nothing else is paid for. That's all coming out of debt. And now we're talking about increasing one of the biggest chunks of the budget, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid payouts, um, that is already not being covered by tax revenue. So, you know, the, the debt and deficits that we're dealing with is going to continue to grow. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to tell, I'm not saying we shouldn't give seniors more money. I'm just saying, how are we going to pay for it? Because again, yeah. you know, we can't keep living on this kind of debt run structure we've got. No, you, you can't. And there's going to have to be some major reform on that end of it as well. That part is not the sexy part, Lance. That's the part <laughs> that the politicians never want to talk about because it's not very electable, right? right. You're, you're asking people to either pay more money into it. You're asking them to delay their own social security. And so I do see major reform coming because it's going to have to, but it won't be for the seniors who are who are already taking right. benefits. You know, we hear all the scare tactics, social security is going away. And look, there's going to be major changes. They're already talking about combining the two trust right now. Um, and I think that, you know, we're likely going to hear more and more about that. But you know, we continue to kick the can down the road as far as major reform. The sooner we do this, the much more solvent it will be and the better it will be long term. Right. Well, one, one, one last thing here just for the break, because we were talking about saving more into a Roth. And one of the things that you were worried about about previously here on the show, we got about two minutes, was the potential that some of these new kind of bills from the Biden administration would take away kind of backdoor Roths. But that actually turned out not to be the case, right? Yeah, so far, you know, that it's so good that they're not taking that backdoor Roth away. And, now, and exactly, explain for people, what is a backdoor Roth, by the way? So, so backdoor Roth is where someone contributes to a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA. Then later they go and convert that to a Roth. So essentially, you're avoiding the taxation on that aspect because you didn't pay tax. You didn't get a tax benefit when you contributed to the traditional IRA because you, you likely made too much money. So... The backdoor Roth has not gone away. This is a strategy that not as many people utilize as it probably should. Um, but the other aspect that we were worried about is they were going to take away just Roth conversions in general, not allowing you to convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth. Now, they've put some stipulations potentially where it's going to be a 10-year window. Then they then they start that, um, which really, that kind of, it's kind of interesting, and it befuddles me a little bit, Lance, because you would think about it that this is actually one of those things you think they'd want to get their hands on the money now. So doing a conversion should typically be a good thing. I, I'm not sure politicians actually think that far down the road, but <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about some more. When we come back from the break, uh, the 60-40 allocation model, it has been... 
proclaimed to be dead now for the last decade, yet it's still here and it's still working and depending on how you invest your money can work very well for you. We'll talk about that. Is it dead? When we come back from the break with Danny Ratliff, don't go away. Is the 60-40 portfolio allocation dead? Uh, this has been one of the, the big discussion points that has really been in the markets over the last several years. Um, beginning in 2013, Jeff Gunlack, Bill Gross, others, you know, famous, the, the famous bond gurus, were proclaiming that the bond bull market of the last 40 years was over and interest rates had nowhere to go but up. And ever since then, rates have done nothing but go lower. And of course, as interest rates fall, the prices of bonds rise, which has made the 60-40 allocation model actually continue to work very well for more conservative investors. Um, the 60-40 allocation model, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, has lower volatility than the S&P 500 index as, as a whole. And until just last, really just two years ago, about 2019, the 60-40 allocation model from 2000 to 2019 actually outperformed the S&P 500 index. And that was because of the two big bear markets and equities that occurred from 2001 and 2 and 2008. That really impeded returns for equity investors. They didn't get back to even until 2013. The 60-40 allocation model was well positive in making money for investors with much lower volatility long before the S&P 500 index got back to even. So, you know, is there a point here where now, well, because interest rates are low, the theory is, is that rates have nowhere to go but up. The problem with that is that higher interest rates are a problem when you have an economy driven solely on debt, whether it's corporate debt, individual debt, mortgage debt, government debt, everything that we're doing is specifically going right back into debt to pay for whatever we want to pay for. Of course, that's all been a function and a driver of near zero interest rates now for the last decade from the Federal Reserve and, and continually falling interest rates, not just over the last decade, mind you. Interest rates have been falling since 1980 which has been fueling both speculative investment in markets as well as rising asset prices in, in multiple areas. So, you know, <clears throat> yes, interest rates can't go much lower than zero, but does that actually mean the 60-40 allocation is dead? Now, before I've, I, I ask Danny Ratliff a question, I want to read to you a little quote here from a Barron's article. And, talking, and, and this article basically says the 60-40 allocation model is dead. It's done. And here is the resolution by people, advisors in the marketplace, what they're recommending for their clients. And particularly, we're talking about now clients that are near retirement or in retirement with a substantial amount of wealth saved up. What's the recommendation to combat the 60-40 allocation model if bonds are indeed dead? With longer and longer life expectancies, the retiree depends on their portfolio to meet their living need for decades. Therefore, for most clients, the assets that would typically be invested into bonds should be invested into equities. So in other words, as a retiree heading into retirement, you should no longer have fixed income as part of your portfolio. Your portfolio should be 100% equities. And this has become commonplace accepted analysis and recommendations for the markets. 
And this, the problem with this, of course, is this analysis and recommendation has come from a 11-year bull market run where there's been no serious major declines to this point that have impacted capital. Ask somebody that was actually in the market in 2008, and they might disagree. Danny, let's uh, go to you. You work with a lot of individual advisors. You're a certified financial planner, and, and you work with many, many high net worth clients. I just want to ask you a question right, right up front here, Danny. If you went to a, to one of your clients right now and said, "Hey, uh, you know, Mr. Smith, um, you know, we don't think bonds can go much lower here, so we're going to put all your money into equities," um, would you still have any clients? You know, I think that'd be a really hard sell. But but Lance, there are a lot of people out there that are doing just that, and they're making the argument saying, "Hey, you know what? You have a long time before you need to make distributions. Go ahead, you can put these funds aside. We can be extremely aggressive because there is no there is no other place and no other alternative at the moment." And we know that's not true. The other issue is, like you mentioned, 11 years, 12, 13, whatever the number is, yeah. as far as this bull market is ran, what's likely to happen is the market gets more and more expensive. As we are in a potentially tightening cycle, that typically doesn't bode well for equities. And so now you have somebody getting closer to retirement. Yes, they don't need these funds right now, but what if you saw a major drop? Would maybe they start to have to rely on these funds down the road? Mm -hmm. There's potential for that. And I think that becomes the, the bigger problem here is that with this greater amount of risk that we're trying to kind of smooth over and say, look, guys, it's going to be OK. It seems like that's what the industry is doing. There, there becomes a significant problem for the, the well-being of your financial plan as far as how long it can actually these funds can last you if you face a significant drop. And most people aren't taking that into an account. And, and that's really kind of a, a key point here is, you know, again, there's two things that happen to retirees. And, and again, you know, if you go back and talk to a person that was in the markets in 2008, as an example, and was close to retirement, say they, say they were just within 10 years of retirement, or let's go back to 1998, 1999, and talk to somebody that was, was within 10 years of retirement back then. Let's say you're 45 or 55 back in 1998, 1999, you know, it was 13 years before you just got your money back. If you weren't ready for retirement in 2000, in 2013, you still weren't ready for retirement. And that's 13 years of your lifespan that just kind of went away because of what happened with the, the market cycle. And, you know, as we talk about valuations, and, and that has a lot to do with forward returns, P.E. valuations at the peak of the market in 1999 were 44 times earnings, according to the Schiller Cape. As of yesterday... The Schiller Cape ratio is 40 times earnings. It is only, you know, basically four points less than it was in 1999. And yet we've got advisors saying, oh, well, the only thing you can do here is put all your money into the, the riskiest asset class of the market, which is equities, and kind of really just kind of cross your fingers and hope markets just keep going up indefinitely because we've now eliminated bear markets. And, th and this is the thought, at least by individuals when it comes to the fed the fed the federal reserve will not allow the bear market to occur so there is no downside risk to markets uh we are in very uncharted territory in terms of valuations price to sales have never been at three times earnings market cap to gdp has never been at two and a half times the economy um talk about valuations 40 times earnings that's the second highest level on record and very close to what we saw at the peak of the markets in 1999 no matter how you cut valuations, investors are paying a very high cost for that. But bonds relative to the economy are still actually very fairly valued. So 
As an investor, really, where would you put your money? Seems to me you're taking a lot of risk to try to eke out a very small rate of return differential going forward. Well, I think what, what advisors are looking at is if they can look like a rock star in the interim and say, okay, we can gather assets, we're doing very well, it's it's a good story, because people don't know what to do. They, they understand that we are in uncharted waters to some extent. But what I fear is that on the back end of this, they're going to look like MC Hammer broke and not have any money. And this is going to be the, this is going to pose such a significant issue for retirees. And, you know, just like you mentioned, you have a, a totally different perspective when you think about the people that retired in 2000 and they faced 2001, two and three or 2008. And you saw that significant drawdown. We know the first two years in retirement are extremely crucial to the longevity of your, your funds. Um, the first 10 years are also really important. Once you get past those, if you have the wind at your back, you're doing pretty good. But it's a different story for people who took distributions during those times versus people who are able to take advantage of it, put funds aside, continue to contribute as the market dipped. Hey, that could have been a really good thing for a lot of younger investors because now you're buying it a lot cheaper and now you do have the wind at your back. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of one of the that's kind of one of the excuses for this as well, which is, well, even if the market does have a big correction, you know, it always gets back to even, right? It always comes back. And and that's true. But one of the things that retirees in particular, you know, miss in that in that statement, which is as the market is declining, if you're taking money out, you're accelerating that decline. So if I'm taking out 10% of my, you know, assets a year to live on and the market declines by 10%, I'm not down 10. I'm actually not down 20. I'm actually down about 22 because of the effect of compounding of those withdrawal rates as the market's declining. So, you know, you know, for a lot of uh, a lot of retirees, the one thing we always recommend is having some cash cushion set aside so that during a decline, you can stop withdrawal rates to, to minimize that impact on accounts. But for, for people that are 100% invested in equities, they may not have a choice. And, and that devastation may actually be even far worse than what happens just in the market decline and something that a lot of uh, advisors don't, you know, tell people about. Well, that's right. And what about the advisors that are now pushing these more sophisticated products? You know, that's one of the things I'm seeing is, you know, even reading that article, um, other areas, it seems that this is the hot topic. But now we have people and, and we've had to think outside the box as well. I think that it, it this environment, it, it needs a, a time to think outside the box. But you have to be very careful and people need to understand what they're investing in, in the sense that we're seeing a lot of people throw around private equity, private real estate things that a lot of people typically would not have looked at. Now they're saying, huh, okay, this is something that I could potentially do. And it is that more sophisticated. We talk about all these products that Wall Street you know, bundles together to sell, and this is one of them. And so that's another area that, that I think investors need to be cautious. They need to do their homework, make sure they're doing their due diligence to really understand what they're investing in, understand if there could be potential liquidity issues, What's the impact if the market does falter and the economy, you know, goes in a, it looks a little bit different because that's when those investments, they're not nearly as fun because yeah. you can't get out and, and you can't actually proactively manage that portfolio because more often than not, you're stuck in some of those. Yeah. So is the 60-40 allocation model dead? No, the answer is it's not. And even if bonds go nowhere over a decade in terms of price, you're still better off than being 100% invested in equities during a bear market. And it's just simply a function of math. But most importantly, it's about risk tolerance and what you can actually afford to navigate and, and how to mitigate that risk. So again, make sure you get with your advisor. Talk to them seriously about the impact on your retirement. If you have questions, go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send me a question. Danny and I are happy to answer it for you. Be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts.
I want to follow that last segment up. We're talking a little bit about the 60-40 allocation model. And of course, you know, it's all coming down to this idea that bonds are dead and the bond bill market's over. Interest rates have nowhere to go but up. The problem is, is interest rates can't go up because if they do go up, then all of a sudden people can't afford to buy, you know, can't afford to, re well, not they can't afford to, they won't refinance their mortgage, they won't buy a house, they won't be able to afford to buy a car, variable rate interest payments on credit cards go up, so that distracts from other discretionary spending in the economy. Uh, corporate debt goes up, and of course we have a lot of zombie companies depending on low rates to finance, and if they can't refinance at low rates, we have a lot of companies that go out of business. All of that is very recessionary. And of course, once you get into a recessionary environment, interest rates begin to fall again. So again, interest rates can go up a little bit in the near term, but they can't go up a lot because of the economic impact of a extremely indebted economy. And that's the one thing that everybody talking about higher interest rates misses. Um, and, and this is the one thing that is important longer term, but in the near term, in the near term and, and how we manage our portfolios uh, for our clients is that we use bonds to minimize volatility. So when interest rates rise up a bit, we shorten our duration to minimize the impact of rising rates. And when rates peak and we get a buy signal on bonds like we had recently, well, then we extend that duration uh, to take advantage of that decline. So just like managing, and this is, I think well, this, is, this is one of the big problems with buy and hold investing as well, is that you know when you talk about the 60/40 allocation, all these uh, you know advisors are saying, well, you're just going to buy bonds and sit on them and and just kind of ride the wave up and down. And you know that's that's not really how investing works. Investing is about finding opportunity, take advantage of opportunity, and and managing risk over time. And you know buy and hold is is an easy way for advisors to gather assets and charge you a fee for doing nothing. Um, you should be wanting to find an advisor that is, you know, working for their money, so to speak, and, and managing risk and making sure that you reach your financial goals over time. Um, but that brings up another point, which is making sure that the money you've saved will actually last through your entire retirement. And, you know, Danny, there's an interesting article about this uh, by Robert Powell, you know, asking, you know, kind of asking this question and, and how to make sure. And, you know, this is one of those kind of, as, as we were talking about kind of in the last segment, is there's a lot of things that can impact your money. And the one thing that most people, you know, in the financial industry dismiss is the impact of a major bear market. Will your money last through your entire retirement? Sure. As long as markets are generating 8% a year, you're going to be just fine. You can take out four. You're all good. They fail to compensate for a major drawdown in the markets of even 10 or 20%, which can have a big impact on how long your money will last. Well, that, that's exactly right, Lance. And so we're seeing all these different ideas of, of how to make your money last. You know, we look back at the 4% rule. We know that that rule should probably be gone considering where interest rates are. That was invented, you know, decades ago when interest rates were much, much higher than they are today. So retirees are having to become a little bit more flexible and nimble with this. But, you know, to our conversation last segment, it is pushing people towards equities because you can go find an, an equity that's going to pay you a very similar yield or even better than what we can go find a, a good bond right now. And so we're, you know, we talked about years ago, I can remember back in the early or mid 2000s, investors felt like they're between a rock and a hard place. And I can remember finding CDs or um, other fixed investments at five and 6% and people are kicking, screaming, saying, this is terrible, I don't wanna do it. 
And now, you know, when those those matured five or 10 years later, thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Because there's nothing out there now. And so you are really between a rock and a hard place now. And we're hearing so many different ideas on how to invest and what this means. And, you know, I think it's great that people are beginning to think and say, "Okay, maybe just, you know, this buy and hold isn't what it once was. I think that's I think that's what's promising is coming out of all these conversations, because we know, just like you mentioned, People need to earn and advisors really need to earn their keep in the sense that you need to actively manage funds. If you're not you're not with an advisor who's actively managing things, life has changed because mm-hmm. markets move so quickly. The environment has changed drastically considered from where we were years ago. When you go buy a handful of mutual funds, set it and forget it and not worry about it. Um, I think you need to be much more nimble than that at this stage in the game. But to your point on this article, one of the things they mentioned that I thought was interesting was putting a significant portion of your funds into tips. Mm-hmm. So that would really suggest that we think that interest rates are going to go continue to go much higher. Inflation is going to stay there. It's not, you know, it, that it is truly permanent and not transient, uh, or you know, what the Fed says. And you know, what happens though to an investor if you do see some deflation and you're owning these tips? Right. Then you're not making any money. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and, and but again, this is where it comes back to, you know, this, uh, you know, the reality of how markets work is that everything cycles. I mean, you're going to have an inflationary cycle. You're going to have a deflationary cycle. You're going to have a bull market. You're going to have a bear market. You know, everything cycles. And so the important thing is to understand what those cycles are and then to make investments according to those cycles so that you can both, you know, make money, which is important, right? We all want, we all want to make money. But the most important thing is protection of capital. And, you know, if I protect my capital, the gains will take care of themselves over time. The biggest mistake that investors make is losing 30 or 40% of their money and then spending five or six years of gains just to get back to even. Getting back to even is not the same thing as making money. Plus, you know, while, and, then, and again, let's go back to what we said in the last segment about, you know, kind of the average advice from the financial media is that markets always come back. Yes, they do. But if your retirement plan is based upon 8% a year income and you're going to make 8% a year on your money, if you lose 30% of your money, then spend five years getting back to even or however long it takes, you still have to not only make that 30% back, plus all the 8% that you were supposed to make those previous years compounded on top of it. So it's, it's far different. You know, Actual returns and actual outcomes are far different than market outcomes and average returns, which are generally thrown around in the markets a lot in terms of analysis. It's important to look at the impact of gains and losses and compounded rate of returns on your actual retirement plan when those things occur and to plan for them in advance. What happens if one of these things occurs? What happens if we do have a market downturn? Hopefully, we never will. Hopefully, the markets will go up 10% a year, and we'll all be happy, and it'll all be great. But what if you actually happen to have a downturn, and how do you navigate that? And that, that's got to be part of the financial planning process. Well, it does. You know, Unfortunately, most people just think of it in the number perspective from percentages on, on gains and losses. They don't ever think about it as far as what that means to their actual lifestyle. What does that mean? Do I have to take a reduction in distributions and live on less? Because if you want to get back to where that high water mark is. And let's face it, Lance, I mean, I talk to people day in and day out, and if, if the market goes down, you know, like, give, for instance, in September, market went down 5%, our portfolios were down significantly less. But what what people look at is say, well, man, back in August, I was at this amount, now I'm down here. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm way down for, for, for the year. Whoa, 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 we're not down for the year. You're down from where you were. You're actually doing really, really well for the year. And so now you, you take that same mindset. You actually have a negative loss. And then you're taking these distributions. And most people aren't prepared to actually take a pay cut. And that's the issue. And so when we talk about how to make these funds last, you need to be uh, flexible as far as what you're willing to do. You need to understand from a financial planning perspective, what are your non-discretionary expenses? You know, many people say, I don't want to do a budget. I, here's my expenses. Well, hold on. Let's take a deeper dive into this because we need to really understand. Here's what your non-discretionary expenses are. Here's what your discretionary are. If something bad happens in the marketplace and it's going to happen, nobody's taking recession out of the business cycle. So at some point we will see this and you may have to make a change. Now, maybe the plan is accounted for. Maybe we've been prepared and we've been extremely conservative. We stress the funds. You're going to be okay. Or maybe we need to go in and we need to make a change. And I think that that's the conversation that people need to be having with their advisors. They need to understand what happens and what the overall impact is for them. Yeah. And look, and this is one reason why, you know, I understand that cash has no return right now. You know, having money in a money market account has no return. I get it, right? It's terrible. But having cash also gives you a lot of flexibility. And, you know, this is one thing that I talk to a lot of investors about is, look, you know, if you're living on your on your investment account, have, have a, a good cash cushion sitting on the side that you can go six months or a year without having to take withdrawals from your investment account because that will allow you to help mitigate downturns when they do occur. And it gives you that, as you're talking about, it gives you flexibility without having to sacrifice your lifestyle. But, you know, we've gotten everybody in this whole mindset that they've, you know, the cash is terrible. It's just losing money sitting in a bank account. Yeah, theoretically it is because it, you know, if you go out and buy a bag of Oreo cookies next month, it's going to be 10% higher than it was last month. Hey, I get that. But having flexibility by having some cash is extremely beneficial. It also gives you opportunity to do things. If there's a if, if markets do go on sale and you've got cash, you've got the ability to buy stuff cheap, which is the whole benefit of investing in the markets, you know, buy low, sell high. That's what we're supposed to do. And if you have no cash because you're buying and holding investments, when you do have a big downturn, great. You just lost a bunch of money with the downturn, but now you have no cash with which to buy the bottom with, which is what everybody talks about. Oh, I bought the bottom. No, you didn't because you were buying and holding investments. <laughs> yep. Well, that, that's exactly right. That flexibility that most people don't have because they're stuck and they, hey, you have to be all in. You put everything into it. And then, you know, when you're ready to get something out, unfortunately, it's usually at the inopportune time when markets are really bad. You think, oh, my gosh, I have to get out of here. I need some cash. I need to pay bills. I lost my job, whatever it may be in these economic times where, where things are, you know, we have a lot of turmoil. Those are things that that's real life. That's what happens. Yeah. So, so maybe so we need to prepare for it. Right. So maybe Elon Musk wasn't so stupid selling 10 percent of his stock at, at all time highs. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's a, pretty, that's a pretty genius move. But didn't he also have some stock options that were expiring. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in good shape. Twenty billion. Yeah. He's fine. <laughs> Poor guy. That wraps up the show for the day. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me as well. Be sure and tune in this Saturday for our Candid Coffee. We're talking about the market outlook for 2022 with myself, Danny, and Richard. Be sure and register on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, got our latest blog post and more all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.